Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. My name is Tim, and I'm part of the team here at Ivy. It's a pleasure to be sharing with you today. And last November, uh, my wife and I moved to Reddish, and I love cycling. That's not a big secret. And I thought it was time to find some new routes. And there's this great fitness app called Strava, and it's got this feature on there where you can create automatic routes based on how far you want to cycle. So I created a new route, and it was going to take me through the centre of Manchester, and I thought, fantastic. Now, the problem is that I didn't actually check where the route was going before I set out. And it wasn't long before I found myself cycling down quite a narrow bike track and then along the Ashton Canal. Now, that actually sounds like quite idyllic, right? That sounds quite nice, cycling along the canal. The problem was, it was 5 p.m. in January, so it was very, very dark. Now, <laughs> I know that I have a tendency to be a bit dramatic, but all of a sudden, the horror stories uh, came to mind of people that had been mugged in moments like this, and I was like, oh no, I'm going to end up, there's a story in the MEN. And uh, every dark and lurking tree became a shadowy beast that was either going to steal my bike or push me into the canal. I was terrified. And I thought, what was I thinking? Why didn't I check it first on Google Maps? I trusted you, Strava. Oh, dear. So I almost turned back, but I decided to keep going. And because of that, actually, I discovered whole new places in Manchester that I didn't even know existed. So... You might be wondering, Tim, why are you telling us this story? Well, as we're going to see today, there will be times in our lives where God leads us down dark valleys, okay, where we don't want to go. In fact, if anything, if you're anything like me, you'll avoid them at all costs. But the good news is that if we trust Jesus and follow him through these times, he will do such a deep and wonderful work in us that will lead us into new places in him that we never thought possible. And that actually becomes a gift to the world. So we are in this series called Reimagine, exploring what it means for us to be church at this unique moment in history. And uh, as Pete just read out for us, we're looking at Psalm 23, which is one of the favorite passages in the Bible for Christians for the last 2,000 years. Um, But it's also one of those passages of scripture that says things I wish it didn't say. Now, there's quite a lot of those in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever come across them where you think, why did it have to say that? If you were writing the Bible, you would have written it slightly differently. Well, let's take a look. So it starts off, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Fantastic. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Oh, that sounds good. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. It's like he refreshes my innermost being. Come on, who doesn't want a bit of that? Um, He leads me along right paths for his name's sake. Thank you, Jesus. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. What? Wait. What did you just say? Even though I walk through the darkest valley. I don't know about you. I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up for dark valleys. You said, Lord, that you're going to lead me along right paths. That's going to be about me doing really well and feeling good, surely. I'm not going down there. Surely following you is always going to feel good. Anyone? Ever think that? Or realise that that's what you thought? (laughs) I have many times. But look, friends, the reality is this. There will be times when we're following Jesus and he will lead us along right paths, along his planned route, and it will take us through dark valleys. Every single one of us. 
It doesn't matter how well presented we are, educated, rich, successful, influential, or powerful, we will all go through them. Now, even as I'm saying this, I have a confession to make. I am a valley avoider. When I see them coming, I'm like, no, no, I don't have time for this. I don't want to go down there. Oh, sorry, Fred. <laughs> That's my son crying. I scared him. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, dear. But when I see them coming, I'm like, no, I don't have time for this. I don't want to go through that discomfort or pain. I am a valley avoider. So what I'm sharing with you today, I'm speaking to myself too. Now, these dark valleys, they come through a crisis or a loss. This is how they normally come, how they normally start, through a crisis or loss that turns our world upside down. Now, you might be in one of those valleys right now, or you might be coming out of one. Or you might be thinking, do you know what, pal? My life is all good. It is sunshine and roses. Well, I've got really good news for you. There is a valley coming. There is. So listen up, because what I'm going to share today, I hope will help you in those times. So let me just share some examples of what dark valleys could be. Maybe you had plans or big dreams to do something, and now they're gone. Maybe it's a difficult family or workplace relationships. Maybe your valley is your singleness, or maybe your valley is your marriage. Maybe things have been hard. Maybe you got passed over for a promotion and they employed someone younger. Maybe uh, you were on furlough last year and then your worst fears were realised and you got made redundant. Maybe you're worried about your finances, or you've got a serious health condition. Or maybe the global pandemic triggered all of the above. Hallelujah. Or maybe, actually, you've experienced a loss that feels like it tops all losses, that you've lost someone you love. Whatever that is, these are all things that none of us would choose. Maybe it's, maybe it's even something you've put a lot of energy into avoiding at all costs. Maybe you thought, oh, these, these things would never happen to me. And yet you're wondering, like, how did I end up here? Well, if you're anything like me, you'll find yourself in these moments um, questioning God, questioning yourself, questioning the church. And you realise that actually the faith that you had before the crisis doesn't seem to be able to help you now. You ever experienced that? You're like, what? I don't know what to do. It's like even the foundations seem shaken. You have, you have questions but no answers. You can't see or understand where God is at work, where he's leading you, or how long it's going to take, or how even any good can come from it. And in this last year, it's like as a whole world, as a whole country and a whole world, it's like we've been walking through a collective dark valley. And for some, it's been harder than others, but we, there's no one exempt. Whether it's been, uh, and we've all experienced loss, whether it's been loss of freedoms, or seeing friends or family or work that's changed or loved ones. Well, look, the invitation from God to us is to not avoid the valleys because we can't, or try and just rush through them like, I'm a Christian, get me out of here. But actually to embrace them, to take time to acknowledge and remember what has been lost, and to bring it to him. So that actually in that place, God can do a deep and healing work in us that produces hope. Now, in her famous work on grief, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross outlines five stages. Now, I've personally found these really helpful in the last year to, to reflect on and think about, and I kind of think maybe gives us a bit of a map of what dark valleys can be like. And I just want to talk them through briefly. The first is denial. 
It's like when you get bad news, your first reaction is, no, 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 this isn't happening. It's a bad dream. It will blow over. I don't really need to think about this. Just stay focused, keep going, be busy. This is my speciality. Denial is my specialty. Work, movies, business, whatever your uh, recipe may be. Now, these are great coping mechanisms. And after a while, you actually might start to feel better. But then as you do, the feelings that have been you've been suppressing and denying, whether it's sadness or loneliness or regret, they begin to surface. I once heard it said that emotions get buried alive. I thought, that is so insightful, isn't it? That emotions get buried alive. So that's the first stage. The second stage is this, anger. It's like, what were they thinking? How could they have done this to me? Why me? Boris, COVID is all your fault. Protest. Or it could have been God. Why have you let this happen to me? Why have you, what have I done to deserve this? I thought you loved me. Or maybe you blame yourself and you're like, this is my fault. If only I had been there. If only I had done this. If only I had said something. If only I'd prayed more. This would never have happened. The third stage, bargaining. It's that moment I know so well. It's like, God, if you fix this, I promise I will never. Or, God, if you fix this, I promise I will always. It's just whatever, Lord, sort this out. Take this away. Make it end. The fourth stage is depression. And it's that that, that emptiness that can come, where you, it goes deeper than you want it to, and you feel low, and you find it hard to get excited about anything. And no matter how hard you try, you don't always do a good job of faking it. It's like you find yourself wanting to withdraw, wanting to isolate, and avoid people that remind us of the pain. And it feels like it's just going to last forever. And then finally, the final stage is acceptance. Now, this doesn't mean that everything's okay. Grief can sometimes feel like it, it doesn't leave, and it can become a part of your new life. But in acceptance, you begin to make adjustments or changes to embrace the new reality. You form new relationships, develop new habits, and you begin to help others. And through doing that, you find meaning and you find hope. Now, on paper and in the research, this looks like a really lovely, clear-cut, straightforward, linear process. But in my experience, it's a bit more like this. It's a mess. It's messy. Really, really messy. One minute, you feel great. You're moving into acceptance. And then something happens, and five minutes later, you're screaming at the TV again, or you don't even know what's going on. It just takes time, one day at a time, week by week, day by day. And I personally, I found this really, really helpful in these kinds of moments to reflect on where I am. And by the way, it's really, really unhelpful to tell someone where you think they're at in their process. Don't do that. It's really annoying and <laughs> really unhelpful. So ancient Christians... They've talked about these times as dark nights of the soul. And one commentator writes this. They write, Our natural response is to rebel against them as alien intruders, which must be expelled from our lives as quickly and painlessly as possible and by every means available, including by God's miraculous intervention. With hindsight, however, another perspective is possible. We begin to offer our trials to God for him to either remove or attain as he pleases thereby bringing glory to his name and deepening our faith and possibly that of others too. And I absolutely love that because that's been my experience. You don't actually get the answers that you want, but instead you learn to surrender to Jesus, to embrace the unknown, to let go of control. You learn to trust in God's faithfulness, whatever happens in life. This, that kind of faith, that kind of confidence only comes out of the deep work that God does in us through these dark valley moments. And it's not easy. 
But what the Bible shows us is this, this is through these processes, this is the normal way that we mature in Christ. And as I've been reflecting on this topic the last few weeks, I think I wonder if the reason that we hate dark valleys so much is that it actually confronts those times confront us with our own weakness and limitations as human beings. And we realize we're not actually the masters of our own destiny at all. There's so much in life that is just not in our control. And that's one of the big global lessons of the last year, isn't it? We've been confronted with our limitation and frailty as humanity. And yet, the good news is, in that coming to terms with this reality is one of the best things that can happen to us. Because if we will come to God in these moments, we'll see and understand that God is so so much more clearly, and that our false ideas about him fall away. Now, I love that David, the man who wrote this psalm, this was his experience too. And he had his fair share of dark valleys. As a shepherd, he had to defend his sheep from attacks of lions and bears, lions and tigers and bears, and um, at the risk of his own life. And when he, was a, an, when he was a bit older, King Saul, a man that David served and loved and worked for, was so scared of David and so intimidated by him that he tried to have him killed multiple times. And you think you've got problems at work. <laughs> Not to mention that Saul was also David's father-in-law. How awkward had that been at family dinners? Anyway, so David, he faced wars and all kinds of enemies. They were so much more powerful than he was terrifying nations coming against them. But actually, through staying close to God through these times, he could look back and say, see God's faithfulness and protection. So he could say, you lead me by right paths for your name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Now, the word evil in this passage can also be translated distress or adversity. So distress is, is, is like extreme anxiety, sorrow or grief. Adversity is any kind of difficult or unpleasant situation, which can also lead to anxiety, sorry, sorrow and grief. And he, I love what he's saying here. He's saying that even in the midst of those dark valley moments that come in life, even though he may experience intense anxiety or painful loss or difficult situations, he won't be afraid of them. I wish I could say that. And he's learned not to give into those natural and normal reactions that come when we're faced with these kinds of events, because he's been through it before, and he's seen God's faithfulness, and it's his confidence comes that he's able to say that God is with him. Now, I did a bit of research on that phrase, God, because you are with me, and actually that phrase in Hebrew expresses beyond just someone being with you. It's, it's more like he's saying, I will fear no evil, I will fear nothing that comes, because I am yours and you are mine. He knows who he belongs to. It's wonderful. So for me personally, uh, about just over a year ago, uh, three of my best friends moved away from Manchester, and I found that really painful. My initial reaction was denial. I was like, this is not happening. I worked harder. I got busy. Remember, I'm a valley avoider, okay? I tried to talk them out of it, but they'd already made their minds up, and I felt so angry. I was like, how could you do this to me? This wasn't part of the plan. But there was nothing I could do about it. It was happening. And I just avoided thinking about it, and I avoided anyone who talked about it, and I got annoyed if anyone did mention it. And now, I wasn't really aware of what was going on in me, because I was just burying it. I was just suppressing it. And I was overwhelmed with feelings of sadness and loneliness, but I didn't even have a clue. I didn't even realize what was going on. And then a few months later, I was reading through the Psalms and in my morning prayer time, and I read these verses in Psalm 25, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. 
And this just says this, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I'm lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. And honestly, by the time I got to the end of those verses, I was in bits. I was sobbing. And I just cried for like an hour. Because all of that sadness and loneliness had just been burying and pushing down, ignoring and pushing away. It was like it came up. Under all of that, everything that was buried, under all that anger and busyness, just rose to the surface. But you know what? That was the best thing that could have happened. Because for me, it started a journey of being honest with God, being honest with Becky, and really honest with myself and some trusted friends about how I was really doing and how things really were. And in in that time, I had a period of counselling as well, and it was incredible. Now, for several months, I still felt quite low. I felt, um, I wondered at times if I was depressed. And I struggled with the fact that I couldn't, I just had this no excitement about things. I can't, I can't really explain it. I just felt low. And I even had like struggled with the fact that I didn't feel any feelings of love for Jesus. And I was like, where's that gone? Where's that passion gone? And um, I gave myself such a hard time over it. And um, I, I, was, I was like, I remember praying again and again and again, like, Lord, bring me back. Like, I want that back. That was the, a feeling of joy and that energy. I'm like, come, give it back, give it back. And it, it just, it didn't come. And in the end, I came to a place where I realized I can't, I can't fight this. I can't fight what's happening. And I remember getting down on my knees in my living room, and I just said, Lord, I surrender to you. I need your help. I need you to do something new in my life. But not my will, but yours be done. Help me to trust in your timing. Help me to trust in your goodness to me. And now, during that time, I experienced the kindness and the compassion and friendship of Jesus in ways that I'd never known before. God has done a big work in me to help me become more honest and vulnerable and compassionate. So much of the time, I'm like, only present my best front. But actually, God has helped me and worked through that. And actually, the shallow faith that I had, I didn't even realize was that shallow. I thought I had loads of faith. Turned out, it to, be, turned out to be quite dependent on uh, other people, my day-to-day feelings, and, uh, and things going my way, largely. I thought faith was basically about God making things go my way. Turns out it's not. Anyway, all of that is just slowly being replaced by a faith that is based on an assurance of God's love and faithfulness. And there's still a long way to go in that. And actually, what's amazing is that even those friendships are now the best that they have ever been as God has taken us through, well, taken me through that dark valley. So let me bring this together. We will all walk through dark valleys. If we embrace them, if we don't deny them and resist them and just busy, 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 push them away. But actually, acknowledge what's really going on and come to God in the midst of it. He will do a deep work in us and lead us to new places in him that we never knew possible. Now, I want to share, I'm going to finish in a moment, I want to share three really, really practical things that can help us through these uh, dark valley moments so that we can swear how we can embrace God in the midst of it. The first is this to practice silence. Okay? This has been one of the biggest lessons for me in the last year. Practice silence. To take time out regularly to be silent. Step away from TV, social media, your phone, checking emails, even from reading the Bible. and just. But taking time just to stop and to be still before God in the silence. Now, in my experience, as you begin to do this, if you've never done this before, the things that you've been denying and running away from, they start to bubble up quite quickly. That's why it's uncomfortable, because you want to reach for your phone or to do something, because you don't really want to deal with what's going on. But actually, 
That's the beginning of the journey. And so I want to encourage you, if this isn't part of your daily practice, to start, even if it's for two minutes at the start of the day, before you pray, before you read the Bible, just take two minutes to sit and be still with God and to come to him. The second practical tip is this. Pray your emotions with God. Okay? When I first started, uh, the first time I heard about doing this, I was like, I, I just was, I thought this was weird. But actually, it's become an incredible gift. And in my daily prayer time, I use this little tool a lot. I have four questions that I ask myself. What am I anxious about? What am I angry about? What am I sad about? And what am I glad about? And I found that really helpful to intentionally engage, to reflect on what's really going on in me so that I can talk to God about it and draw near to him. And in in a healthy way, because it's messy. Life is messy and it's complicated. And then finally, practical thing, walk with others. Friends, the natural instinct when things get really hard or there's loss or grief is to withdraw, to not tell anyone about it and then wonder why no one cares. The best thing you can do is to reach out. God doesn't want us to go through valleys alone. And I'm so thankful for the people that uh, in the last year have just listened to me as we've walked round and round and round the duck pond in Platfields Park. I must have done thousand laps of that duck pond. And I want to encourage you, if you're not part of a grow group here at Ivy, to join one. If you've kind of stopped going and you're wondering why you feel isolated or disconnected, start going again. Just come along. And as we've said uh, over the summer, as restrictions lift, we're going to be doing pop-up church here in Didsbury and in Cheadle Hume. And it's going to be a great opportunity to see each other in real life, to spend time to worship, to hear from God together, to pray for each other, and to pray for and encourage each other. It's going to be fantastic. So come along, join us. Well, you might be listening to this thinking, Tim, everything's okay, I'm fine. Well, there's someone out there that needs you, that needs you. And actually, in a couple of weeks, Ivy Care is going to be running a training for listeners who will be able to provide support for people who are going through Dark Valley times. And so if you'd like to, maybe you're in a really great place right now. Well, I want to encourage you, why don't you sign up for that, become a listener and help others and share what God has done in your life too. So you can find out more by emailing info at ivychurch.org. So let me bring this together and I'm going to finish. Why is this so important for us as a church? Like I said, this whole, as a, as a country, as a whole world, we've been through a season of so much loss. And if we will be those who go first, embracing the valley, accepting the grief and, and love that we've been through, allowing God into that and to do his great work in us, then what we'll find is we'll actually be able to offer that as a great gift to the world around us that is in such great need of hope. So how is that possible? Well, it's by looking to Jesus and following him. When Jesus was faced with his own dark valley, the greatest, darkest valley that anyone has ever experienced, as he walked that right path that led him right to the cross, rejected by the people he came for and abandoned by his friends, he didn't avoid it. He didn't deny it. He didn't run away from it, but accepted it. And in his struggle, surrendered to the will of the Father, he let go of control, And he allowed himself to be broken for us so that in him we could be made whole. And in a moment on our Zoom call after our time together, we're going to have communion, taking the bread and drinking the wine to help us remember the great loss, the loss of his own life that he was willing to embrace for our sake. And what's incredible is that that's not the end of the story because three days later, Jesus rose again. The valley is not the end. And what I, as I've been reflecting on Jesus' resurrection, 
I find it fascinating that, that Jesus could have had any body he wanted, okay? God gave him a new body. He could have had anything. And what I find fascinating is that he had, he could have had any body, and yet he chose to have on his body the scars of what he suffered on the cross. And it's like, in his fully redeemed, resurrected body, the scars were still there. Except that now, rather than being a source of pain, they became a sign to the disciples and to the world and to us today of the love and the power and the faithfulness of God. And you know what? In the same way, if we remember what has been lost, if we embrace those valleys for Jesus' sake, if we come to him with the things that we have suffered, if we allow him in to, en- to allow him to come and enter in and to do his work, we will find that in time, because it does take time, that the very things in our lives that were the source of brokenness and pain, in his redemption, will become a sign and a witness to the love and the faithfulness and the power of God to us and to the world. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.